Mike. Lauren. Mike, what was your New Year's resolution last year? And is it at all applicable now? My New Year's resolution last year was to spend as much time as possible in my apartment. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> you're, you're one of like the 1% of the population that keeps their New Year's resolution. And that might even be generous. <laughs> Do you think we should even make resolutions this year or predictions for that matter? Uh, I think predictions are in order. All right, let's give it a try. Hey, everyone, it's time for Gadget Lab. It's the last one of the year. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired, and I'm joined remotely by my co-host, Wired senior editor, Michael Kalori. Hey, Snack Fight. Aloha. And we're also joined by Wired Senior Associate Editor and basically our unofficial third co-host, Julian Chikatu. Julian joins us from a very snowy New York City. It's too bad the snow has kept you from going to bars and indoor restaurants, huh, Julian? Hey, no, actually, I, I love snow. I will shovel anyone's yard, driveway, uh, so just give me a holler and I'll come over. <laughs> Right. And of course, it's probably COVID that's been keeping you from bars and indoor restaurants. But sadly, let's yeah. blame the snow. All right. So this is our last show of 2020. We're going to be taking the next two weeks off to celebrate our respective socially distant holidays and gear up for what will hopefully be an exciting year for Wired in 2021. So this is going to be a year-end retrospective episode of sorts. We all know what a tumultuous year 2020 turned out to be. So we're going to try not to dwell too much and focus on what's to come. And then later in the show, we'll have uh, a not-so-sober discussion about how last year's predictions panned out. Spoiler alert, it was 2020, so we were wrong on a few things. And spoiler alert, we may have already started drinking at the start of this episode. But let's start by looking forward. We've asked some of our Wired colleagues to predict what they think will be the big shifts in tech in 2021. And we've got some ideas ourselves. And I'm going to toss it to our guest, Julian, first. Julian... What are you predicting for 2021? Well, I just got done reviewing the LG Wing. It's a phone with a swiveling screen. So you kind of push it to the side and the top layer screen goes into landscape orientation. And then you have a little mini display on the bottom. So it was surprisingly polished and it gave me this, you know, multitasking dual screen experience. And it was just a lot of fun to use. And I think that's what we're going to see with phones since, you know, that's my primary beat. Um, with phones, we're going to see a lot more fun and experimentation from manufacturers next year. We already saw a bit of that this year with Samsung's Galaxy Folds and the Surface Duo. But I think because smartphone sales are declining year over year nowadays, uh, we're going to see manufacturers trying to give people way different options in how they can use their phone. Uh, you don't have to just stick with this traditional single screen slab because that's just the form factor we stuck with for some reason. And now we have the technology to change that and just have fun. So uh, I think that's something that's going to be really exciting. Uh, and especially since, you know, that phone uh, that I just tested, the LG Wing is $1,000, which is expensive. But when you talk about it in terms of, you know, foldables and swiveling phones, I guess, it doesn't seem like it's that much compared to, you know, the single screen phones that you can also buy for $1,000. So I think this stuff's going to come down in price and we're going to see a lot more experimentation, rollable phones, foldable phones, 
uh, I don't know what other adjective <laughs> I can use, but another type of phone. I think we're just going to have a lot more fun. And uh, actually, I just hope that we have more fun because single screen phones are getting a little stale. So I'm waiting for a clear phone. Oh, yeah. Throwback to translucent tech. That'd be really fun. I first saw the LG Wing when I happened to do the Vergecast podcast earlier this year, joined my old friends, Neelai and Dieter, and they were talking about it. And I said, what is this thing? And they sent me a picture. And I honestly just laughed. I said, yep, definitely did not ever want a perpendicular phone. Because when you fold the wing out, that's basically what you get, like a T-shaped phone. Um, It sounds like you see these changes as positive, Julian, and I agree with you. I think phones should be more fun, but I do wonder whether you both think consumers will be more receptive to the oddities of such gadgets. Okay, but here's the thing with the wing that I just want to go off on a quick sort mini tangent. I realized that I could hook it up to my bike mount. So I was biking around town this past weekend and I put it in that T-shape, you know, cross per- perpendicular, whatever you want to call it, wing shape. Uh, <laughs> and I realized I could put Google Maps on the top screen. And then I put uh, my music player on the bottom screen. And it was not clunky like it would be if you put like a Galaxy Fold o- o- completely open because that thing is huge. Um, but this kind of worked out for me able to just casually glance at the map so I didn't have to leave the Maps app. And I could just quickly switch tracks or even play some phone calls. Uh, and I don't know, that, that, that just kind of blew my mind when I was using it in that way. And that's the sort of thing that I think, you know, we're all just so used to the experience of using a phone as normal that people are going to just be like, why do you need something like that? Because the single phone works. But at the same time, you could just say that, like, if you experiment and try with some other designs and functions, you never know what people might like. So I think that's always fun to just try and experiment. And that's something I always like with LG phones. They just try weird things that never really stick, but it's just fun to play around with. And, you know, who knows, one of these days, one something might stick. Mike, what's one of your predictions for 2021? Um, Let's see. The one I've been thinking about most recently is Roku and their position in the streaming hardware marketplace. Um, They've been very dominant for the last few years, right? You can find Roku devices for sale at Walmart and at Target and at Best Buy, and, you know, they're cheap. I think, you know, they start at like $20, $30 and go up from there. Uh, So they've been a, they've been a a leader. They've also built their technology and their software into uh, television sets. They have a couple of partnerships that really have made them sort of ubiquitous player, but we haven't seen much lately from Apple on the hardware front. Uh, as far as their Apple TV goes. And I think that given the investment that Apple is making in streaming and in Fitness Plus, they're going to give us a new Apple TV that is has a better feature set and is cheaper. And it's actually going to start competing with Roku. On the other side, you have Google with uh, Android TV. or Sorry, it's called Google TV now. I don't know. They keep changing the names of everything. It's hard to keep up. But, you know... Google's TV platform, uh, it had a very big fall. Uh, I think it's going to have a very big spring and it's going to start showing up in more places. There are going to be more services on it. And I just think that things are going to get harder for Roku this year. I think that, you know, there's going to be more competition. So we might actually see Apple and Google being, you know, big threats to their dominance in streaming hardware. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. (laughs) (laughs) So it says. It's true. I mean, that's, 
yeah, Apple just keeps all of their product announcements so tightly under wraps that um, we don't really know at this point if a new Apple TV is coming, but you're right in that it's long overdue. And Google, of course, has gone through some like renaming with its Google Google TV and then Android TV and now back to Google TV. But the idea behind all of the confusing naming actually makes a lot a lot of sense. And the thing the thing that I would not expect to see from Apple is a stick, right? Like that's that's mm-hmm. been the cheap way in the Fire TV stick, the Roku streaming stick, the Chromecast dongle. That's been the cheap way into streaming hardware, and I I just can't see Apple making a stick. Um, mostly because product design is so important to them. Like not only are Apple products designed to be seen, but they're designed to have like the experience of the Apple products worked into your home. Like it's meant to be in your house. It's meant to be touched. It's meant to be interacted with a stick kind of hides behind the TV. And I just don't see Apple making anything that's designed to be hidden. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah, I think one of my predictions for next year is that people are going to become even more obsessed with this idea of the smart home. And that includes entertainment setups, streaming services, smart speakers, anything that you can get your media from. I mean, I think it also applies to things like energy efficiency and air purification, um, homeschooling setups, of course, which are really important, connected fitness, which we've certainly seen grow as a category this year. Um, But yeah, I think even if we get to the point where the pandemic gets under control, more people are vaccinated and we are able to safely leave our homes more, I still think that this year has like just refocused all of us on what our homes are and what they mean to us and the things that we can do in them. And I I think that this is just, at this point, the smart home is no longer just a novelty. I mean, things are just going to become smarter with technology embedded in them. Um, I mean, at the same time, millions of people here in the U.S. could lose their homes if the federal eviction moratorium ends at the end of this month. And at the time of this taping, we don't exactly know what's going to happen with that. And it's obviously a very real crisis. So I think while the work from home technology has become essential for the desk side class or folks who can afford, you know, all kinds of education options for their kids, I think that gap is definitely going to widen between the haves and the have nots in technology too next year. Yeah, unfortunately, I think you're right. (laughs) Yeah, the other thing that I was going to say is that, you know, as someone that maintained and curated our work from home gear guide on wired.com this year, I think that we're going to see a lot more gear in general that's just designed for this new work office balance where you might be going to an office some point this year, but you probably are also going to spend a lot of time at home. So maybe you want a blend of products that like a a portable monitor that, you know, one of our writers just reviewed uh, that you could just take to the office whenever you want, or maybe you can take it outside just to spend some time outside and work instead of in your home. So there's a lot more gear, I think, that we're going to see that's just going to be a blend of uh, commuting, but also it's beneficial for your home. And as just someone that I think, you know, been home all the time, I've just generally been investing in upgrading small parts of my home throughout the year uh, from like motion sensing lights and dark spots of my house that I didn't really care for before. But now it's just like, crazy. This is, this is amazing. Um, so I think people are just going to have a lot more gear for, for their home that they're going to get, um, rather than, uh, you know, stuff that you'll invest in for when you're on the go or trying to get this, um, mobile lifestyle set up. 
Totally. Uh, anecdotally, this has been a year that so many people and, you know, friends and family have reached out to me and said, how can I improve my Wi-Fi at home? And most of the time I just say get an Eero or get an Eero system. Um, but I feel like those requests came in a lot more this year than they did years before. And I can imagine that lots of people are going to be looking to upgrade their systems. I also think there's going to be a lot of interesting innovation on the software side of work from home. Like I think that we'll see smarter work apps and software correction for our eye gazes as we're using Zoom and FaceTime and that sort of thing. Um, obviously, the Salesforce Slack acquisition was the largest acquisition in Salesforce history, if, if it goes through. And hopefully, it, it inspires more innovation in work apps and <laughs> doesn't kill it. Um, but I think that there's a lot that could potentially happen on the software side that doesn't necessarily involve specific gear. Mike, I want to toss it back to you. What else do you think is going to happen that is not in the realm of gadgets and gear at home? Um, I think so as society starts to open back up, as people get vaccinated, uh, I think that there is going to have to be a system for tracking and proving that you've had a vaccination. Uh, so there's probably going to be a mobile app that's going to emerge as the leader. Like this is my verification that I've, that I've had the vaccination, right? Like an app that's basically a pass. So if you want to go to Coachella or if you want to go see the fish concert, you have to prove that you've been vaccinated in order to get in the door. Um, if there's multiple apps out there, it's going to get confusing. Uh, I do think that like industries, like sports industries and concert industries will sort of coalesce around one app. And I don't know who that's going to be, and I can't predict who that's going to be. Uh, it could be a giant company like Google or Facebook that makes the app that everybody downloads to prove that they've been vaccinated. Uh, it could be the government, although that is extremely unlikely. Um, or it could just be a, a small company that we've never heard of or one that's kind of unexpected. But I, I do think that, like, you know, there's going to be I think there's going to be one app. It seems like it would be uh, ideal something to add into existing things like Apple Pay or Google Pay, where you have different cards and like passes, right, for for concerts and things like that. You can add there. Um, seems like something they could also integrate into those services, which people use to, you know, at, at stores or wherever, really. So um, I guess it could also be something like that. But yeah, it could also just be a standalone app. Yeah, I, I have do have one can't fail prediction. It's going to be a huge mess. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, you may be right about that. Oh, boy. All right, we're going to toss it to some of our other Wired colleagues for their predictions for 2021. But before I let you go, I did want to make one more prediction. Um, and it's a little bit self-serving because this is a podcast. But I think podcasts are going to be even bigger next year. Podcast listening dropped suddenly in the spring at the start of the pandemic. But then by summer... Listening was back on the rise again. And if we are able to start traveling to more places, commuting or taking low-risk flights again in 2021, then I'm hoping that podcast listening might go up even more. We're also starting to see streaming media companies like Netflix and HBO looking to podcasts for story inspiration. Um, recently, I think HBO bid on Nice White Parents, which was a great podcast series from The New York Times. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of that. You know, you know what I think has happened, Lauren, which I think you're right will continue to happen, is that people have just figured out new ways to squeeze podcasts into their days, even if they don't have a commute anymore or if they're not driving around anymore. They've just like set it up so that they can do podcasts. Right. Or they're cooking and maybe that's a good time to listen to a podcast or going for a walk outside and taking a break. So hopefully we'll see more of that. OK, let's hear from some other folks 
on the WIRE team. 2020 was the year of the coronavirus, but 2021 is going to be the year of the vaccines against it. The big story of 2021 is logistics and distribution, mobilization on a scale that hasn't existed since probably World War II. The hope is that this time next year, those vaccines will have gone into the arms of everyone willing to take them, and COVID-19 won't dominate our lives anymore. In 2021, I'm going to be watching Russia. You know, in the late Obama administration and then in the early Trump days, Russian hackers carried out some of the most destructive cyber attacks in history. I think that we're going to see in 2021 that the Biden administration will probably put more sort of diplomatic pressure on Russia to give up these cyber criminal hackers that are doing really terribly destructive things. And honestly, in their attacks on the medical system, maybe costing people's lives. 2021 is poised to be the year of antitrust. The Department of Justice has already filed a case against Google, and as I'm recording this, we're waiting for a case to be filed against Facebook any minute. We could see more antitrust action against Apple and Amazon, and the House of Representatives, which completed its year-long investigation into the big tech companies this year, is likely to introduce new antitrust legislation next year. I'm hoping that 2021 will be the year that the video game community redefines labor. It sounds really broad, but think about this. Outside of the people who make and sell games, there are entire pocket industries around gaming that aren't taken seriously. I'm talking fighting game pros, cheat makers, e-girl companions who play video games with you for money, modders, Twitch streamers, ROM makers, cosplayers. They're all workers and they make up the games industry too. And a lot of them need better safeguards to protect from exploitation. It's easy to exploit people who do what they love. And then I'm also just curious to see how conversations around social media change with Donald Trump out of office. With Trump out of the picture, or at least out of the White House, I think it'll be a lot easier for the likes of Facebook and Twitter to enforce their rules consistently. When, you know, the number one shit poster isn't the president of the United States. In the upcoming year, it would really disappoint me to see personal technology and the internet uh, go back to being a luxury status thing instead of something that everybody needs in order to survive. A lot of technology that was previously luxury goods, they just really dropped in price this year uh, to accommodate uh, the reality of a lot of kids' situations. And um, I think uh, this uh, trend of everybody being able to afford things like internet and a functioning home computer, like those aren't really luxuries for anyone anymore. These are things that a lot of kids need even when it's not a pandemic. Um, babes, what kinds of things do you want to happen next year? House made of pancakes. Pool you want pool. pool slime? Pool full with slime. Oh my gosh, that would be so cool. Yeah. Welcome back. If 2020 has taught us anything, it's that sometimes things don't go according to plan. We certainly all had ideas of how things would go this year. And here's the fun part. A lot of them were wrong. Uh, so for starters, let's take it back to a year ago when we aired our 2019 end of year episode. It was me, Mike, and our fellow writer, Ariel Pardez. 
She is not joining this episode. Julian is here. He's going to weigh in. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I mean, basically, we're just, this is our big, we were wrong, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) All right. I wasn't, yes, we weren't totally wrong. But uh, all right. Mike, what was your prediction? How did it turn out? Um, Well, I think our producer, Boone, is going to play a little clip here, but you can hear me talking about how I think the notch on the smartphone screen is going to go away. The death of the notch. Finally. R.I.P. The notches, you know, there's stuff there that we need. There are things like the cameras that run the face unlock software. There's the selfie camera. There's radar in there. I think that the future is going to be a phone that has all that stuff. It has face unlock, it has a selfie camera, but when you look at the front of the phone, all you see is the screen. You're not going to see anything else. You're not gonna see a notch. So did it happen? Uh, Yeah, it did. Okay, let me ask you guys. When was the last time you thought about the notch on your phone? I mean, probably 2019 when we taped this episode. Like, I just can't tell you on the list of priorities where the notch falls right now, it's quite low. Right. But like, you know, you look at your phone screen and do you still see it? Nope. Uh, no. Let me see. Let me see. Hold this, even this, this year, most of them have transitioned to using like the hole punch camera. So yeah. even better in a way, I th- I, at least I think so. So right. I, I haven't noticed it. And even if you have a phone that has a notch, you don't notice it anymore because you've been living with it long enough and the software has evolved to make it less of a big deal, right? Like, you just don't see it anymore. So even though the hardware design has not eliminated it, our mind's eyes have eliminated it. So I'm going to argue that I was absolutely 100% correct. I want my gold star. (laughs) Julian, you've reviewed a lot of phones that have a pinhole camera. Is is there any noticeable difference? I just think pinhole cameras are cooler. Uh, They just look (laughs) cooler. They're a little floating circle. Uh, It's all, I mean, it is, you're, you're putting something into the display and it's surrounded by display. It just looks very cool. Um, I never hated the notch. I mean, there were some phones that had some really bad notches, (laughs) uh, Pixel 3, Uh, but (laughs) I will say that, uh, yeah, I didn't really care for them. I, you know, they were fine, but now of course it's nicer and better that they're getting smaller and, uh, you know, that just goes to show that it really didn't matter that much. Right. I mean, this year we were arguing about, you know, face masks and whether or not you would kill your neighbor or your family member, you know, versus a cutout on a smartphone. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody was, I remember like the first time that I I showed a phone with a notch to a friend of mine and he pointed at it and went, ew. (laughs) And I said, I had been living with the phone for about a month at that point. And I was like, you know, I don't even really see it anymore. So yeah, it's it just disappears after a while, whether it's there or not. Think about all the things that our time and our angst were wasted on in 2019. <laughs> I would like to hear your prediction, Lauren. How did how did yours pan out? Were you all as right. good as me? All right, Boone, pull up the clip. I think 2020 is going to be the year where we reconsider social media as a thing that we use to put some sort of public blast out there and instead define the whole idea of social as something that's more uh, tightly connected within our own sort of personal groups or spheres. More intimate, if you will. As Mark Zuckerberg would put it, it's a return to the living room and away from the public square. Sure. (laughs) So yeah, I pretty much thought that social media, public, very public social media was kind of over and that we were all going to gravitate more towards private interactions. 
which I think has been true to a point. I mean, our private groups have certainly become more important than ever. I'm on a WhatsApp group. I'm in several messages groups. I'm on like a private Peloton Facebook group. I'm on Nextdoor, which is not a private community, but is limited to your neighborhood. So I do think that this localization of social media was was very real, at least in my experience uh, this year. But there are lots of people who still post very publicly because they're basically using platforms like Instagram and TikTok now as a form of business. Um, and what I didn't anticipate actually was the level of scrutiny at the policy level of these tech companies this year, particularly Facebook. Not because Facebook is not worthy of scrutiny, I think it is, but I didn't anticipate that the government would actually pull it together enough to lob a formal complaint. And now as the year is ending, we're seeing the FTC and more than 40 states actually wanting to break up Facebook and go back and, and unwind the Instagram acquisition from years ago, which is kind of which is kind of wild. So of course I could not have predicted that specific scenario. I think you did a uh, I think you did make a pretty prescient um, prediction though. Uh, even though there's no way that we could have predicted, you know, what the pandemic would do to our society. But the fact that like new avenues for social media were used, especially to dispel misinformation, I thought was really interesting. So like doctors on TikTok and like Gen Z kids on TikTok, you know, uh, debunking things that boomers were saying. I thought that that was really interesting. I think that I didn't really expect uh, TikTok to be the app of the year, I'd say. You know, it just went from I didn't really know what the hell TikTok was to my girlfriend sending me TikToks every five minutes. Like if you look at our messaging conversation this entire year, I'm pretty sure you could pull 100 links to some stupid TikTok video. But they're great. And, um, you know, I, TikTok has also come under its own scrutiny. But uh, I think it's a very different platform form from Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Facebook in that it, it, in a way, just feels more like skits. And, and it's it feels more creative than some of those other existing platforms, which is why I think that is something that people have sort of moved toward rather than posting random things on Twitter and Facebook. I think people have just become a little more creative when they're stuck at home, bored, uh, trying to figure out how to entertain themselves. Yeah, that's been one of the really, really fun parts of TikTok this year. I also did not anticipate that Larry Ellison and Oracle would end up in so many of the same news stories as TikTok. Like what? <laughs> is TikTok, do we know, is TikTok banned at this point? It's not, right? Like we're all still using it. Like, what happened there? Okay, and we should mention Arielle's prediction. She predicted last year that gesture controls would accelerate. Let's go to that. In 2020, we will stop touching our technology. So what do I mean by that? People are already really into voice controls. It's very common to shout into the void to play a song or unlock your smart lock or whatever. Um, but I think 2020 is gonna be the year that gesture controls really take off. And we've already started to see some of this with devices like the Pixel 4. This has some really advanced gesture controls on it. Um, you can do things like pinch to zoom or you know swipe to change a song without ever touching your phone um and i i'm actually really bullish on this i've gotten some flack about this on twitter from people saying this is stupid no one wants to be waving at their phone why don't you just touch it but i actually think this is going to take off a lot and not only that but i think that we're barreling into a future where people are going to start developing genuine 
neural interfaces that allow us to control our devices with just our thoughts. It sounds crazy, but it's coming. You heard it here first. Can we hear a womp womp sound effect there? (laughs) Because, Julian, tell us what happened with the Pixel this year. Yeah, so Google took out the gesture sensing technology (laughs) in its phone. I think there is still this desire, and I think we'll see that at CES 2021, this this barrage of companies trying to be the first one to really nail um, the ability to use your interface, like interface with your technology without touching it. But I don't think anyone is remotely close to a seamless experience that would be ideal for, you know, the average person. Uh, I think even, you know, the, the contact lens that I saw at CES 2020 that lets you interact with it with just your eye gestures and like, well, not eye gestures, eye movements, um, you know, that is still far off. They're only now starting to talk to potential distributors for that kind of technology. It's still far off and, uh, you know, as cool as it is and as how Google has stripped that away from its flagship phone, I think it's still definitely something we're all going to end up with, but I just think the timeline is going to be at least two to three, four, five, maybe even 10 years out. Can either of you think of an example this year working from home where you wish you had touchless gesture controls? Yeah, like any time that I encountered a touchscreen at the grocery store. Ah, good call. I mean, that's something that I've been sort of trying to focus on in some of my reviews for phones when they don't have NFC chips in there, uh, because NFC is what enables contactless payments like Apple Pay and Google Pay. And that's something I've used a ton this year. Um, why, you know, give my credit card over when I could just tap my phone if that function is available at the cashier. So yeah, I think that is definitely one of the more obvious use cases for this gesture technology, but in the more broader, like, waving your hand around like a maniac in your house trying to control random objects. I just think at the moment, the way our houses and tech is set up, it just doesn't make sense. Even if you look at the Nest Hub Max from Google, which has that camera and you can like raise your hand at it to pause videos or or music, it just doesn't really work because you have to be in that perfect spot in your house where the camera is looking right at you and it can recognize your hand gesture, which I don't think it just really works out for a lot of people. And that's sort of the limitation with this sort of technology. You have to have it work for your environment rather than it being the other way around. Mm. So we have not quite reached minority report just yet. Sadly, no. But it sounds like you're both still fairly optimistic about the technology. Um, Yeah, I think like eye tracking and voice control and predictive stuff like, you know, AI powered things that sort of know what you want before you ask for them and deliver them to you without you doing anything. Those things are probably going to come more quickly and more fully formed than gestures. I will say that I think voice is still something that we're going to see skyrocket way more than perhaps gesture, at least first. Um, I'm using this device called Relay. Uh, It's by Republic Wireless. And it sort of has just made everything in the past few days that I've been testing it just so much more seamless. It's basically a little walkie-talkie-like device, and it uses 4G LTE, so you can talk to anyone in the country. And what I've been doing is on my bike rides or when I, whenever I'm just walking the dog or going to the grocery store, um, I'll 
bring it along with me and I can just hook it up to an earpiece and I just tap on it and quickly ask my girlfriend, hey, did we need milk or did we need the peas or whatever? And it just eliminates the need for taking out my phone, especially if I have gloves on because it's winter and opening a messaging app or placing a call. I just think this sort of system is so much more seamless and faster and it sort of makes me want to just have it on all the time where I can just say, hey, uh, do we need cookies? I don't know. Just makes it so much simpler than maybe I'm just being lazy. Maybe that's that's what this is. But No, I really like your diet, actually. Milk, peas and cookies. You've really you've touched on all the categories there. The answer is always yes. You always need yes. more cookies. Yes, always need more cookies. All right. This has been a really fun look back. Let's take a break and then we're going to come back with our final recommendations for the year. All right, you're going to sense a theme with these recommendations. They're drinks. Apologies to those of you who do not imbibe. There are also lots of great non-alcoholic choices out there, and we encourage you to take advantage of them. Uh, But for today's episode, we are recommending some beverages. Julian, as our guest of honor, what is your recommendation? Uh, I love a good whiskey sour. And whenever you go, well, I guess I can't really say whenever you go to a bar because no one is doing that. But if you ever go to a bar again at some point in the future, you have to make sure that they give it to you with an egg white, which a lot of people know about, I've found, um, but essentially adding that egg white just adds this nice foamy texture at the top and it just makes it very, very pleasant. Um, perhaps not so much uh, if you are averse to sweet drinks because it can be a little too sweet because it essentially is putting a lot of simple syrup into whiskey. but. It still is very delicious and uh, it's my go-to and it still makes me feel very, very classy when I drink it. Maybe not so much these days when I'm sitting in sweatpants and just at home. That's exactly when you need the whiskey sour with the egg white to feel fancy. Exactly. Mike, what's yours? Uh, I'm going to recommend a Paloma, which, you know, it's a tequila drink. It's, It's traditionally tequila and grapefruit juice or grapefruit soda so it might feel a little bit summery because it's kind of like a margarita but i have found even though i live in california we don't really have seasons that it works year round as a very tasty lovely slightly bitter slightly sweet cocktail um to make a paloma you can use grapefruit juice but uh the best palomas are made with grapefruit soda so you mix um one part tequila or mezcal preferably uh, white tequila, silver tequila, or mezcal, if you like a little bit of a smoky flavor, with two parts of grapefruit soda. Now, you can use uh, squirt, which is grapefruit soda that you can find absolutely everywhere. If you live in a place where you can get good Mexican groceries and Mexican food stuffs, I would recommend Haritos. That's Haritos with a J. It's a brand. They make Mexican fruit-flavored sodas, and their grapefruit-flavored soda is the granddaddy of Paloma mixers. If you want to go a little bit fancy, I can also recommend that you use Fix. That's F-I-C-K-S. It's a brand. They make uh, they make pre-made mixes for like Bloody Marys, margaritas. They also make a Paloma mixer and it has grapefruit juice in it and it has a mix of cane sugar and stevia. It has two sweeteners because grapefruit juice can get quite bitter and you want to have some sweetness in this drink. So I would recommend the Paloma. It's excellent. Uh, If you need a good tequila recommendation, you can slide into my DMs, but I'll tell you right now that uh, (laughs) Cazadores works great. 
(laughs) (laughs) Excellent recommendation. What about you, Lauren? What am I drinking? All right. Well, my overarching recommendation for this year is just don't make a resolution. The bar has been lowered. This is your chance to just totally skip out on resolutions for 2021. We have no idea what's going to happen anyway. So if you've been looking for an excuse to just say, hey, I'm going to do the bare minimum, be good to myself, be good to my friends and neighbors, this is the year to do it. That's it. Okay. My drink recommendation. I don't I don't really drink liquor or make cocktails. So I guess my recommendation would be would be a glass of wine. And two some very small wineries I wanted to give a shout out to here. There's one called Two Shepherds in Sonoma County, California, that I, it was the last winery I went to in the before times. I will always remember it as the last <laughs> winery I went to. I went at the very end of February 2020 with a friend, and it was a delightful small family-run farm, and they make great wines, and I've, I've bought their wines since, and so I recommend checking them out. And then another winery that I got acquainted with this year is another small batch winery called Quaddy North. That's Q-U-A-D-Y North in Southern Oregon, and I've really enjoyed their wines as well. In fact, I ended up joining the wine club, um, and they both make Rhone blends. I like their wines. They're, they're, you know, small family run. Check them out. That That is my recommendation for this year. Have you gotten into wine in the box this year? <laughs> so, <laughs> Mike, thanks to you, I have gotten into wine in the box. Only once, though. I've only tried it once. I tried a Boda box. Mike had been telling me about this for a long time because I kept saying, hey, I don't like that when I open a bottle of wine, you know, and if I only want a glass then the wine just sits there for days afterwards and you know it ultimately goes bad it oxidizes and goes bad so mike said you really need to try wine in a box and and i finally did and i see, i totally see what the appeal is but it's actually like quite dangerous to have wine in a box in your fridge so i think i'm yeah. just going to stick to the because you have like three liters of wine at the ready at all times <laughs> right. but <laughs> it's like a Gatorade cooler of wine in your fridge yeah. But, you know, like the Boda Box is I think the Boda Box is pretty awesome because then you end up using wine and cooking a little bit more because you can add like a quarter cup or a half cup of wine into something. Yes. And then you're like not obligated to finish the bottle within the next 48 to 72 hours, which, you know, is important. Yes. G- great advice, Mike. I'm going to you're my boss. So I'm going to take that advice directly from my boss. Thank you. <laughs> you um, don't you don't want to spend two hundred dollars on a Coravin? <laughs> Uh, I think like spending $200 on a device that makes my $11 bottle of wine last an extra couple of weeks is not really in the cards for me. All right. That's our show for this week and this year. Thank you so much to the both of you. I just have to share a little story. One of my absolute favorite photos from 2020 occurred in like the first two weeks of the year. We were all at CES in Las Vegas together. It was Mike's birthday because Mike's birthday generally falls during CES in early January. And we all went out to dinner, surprised him with cupcakes. And I have this really fantastic photo of Mike looking not altogether surprised. And uh, Julian and one of our our fellow writers, Parker Hall, just cracking up in the background, (laughs) like totally laughing. And uh, I shared it recently to our our company's Slack thread and uh, really made me miss you guys. And made me miss seeing you in person and I can't believe I'm going to say this but I regret that we can't go to CES this year and see each other in person and hang out so thank you to the both of you for doing this podcast and and doing this remotely all year and just being great colleagues all year 
Oh, thanks, Lauren. You know what I really want to be able to do? I want to be able to order Lotus of Siam for everybody and have it delivered to everybody's house. <laughs> that would be incredible. And I want to send you vegan cupcakes from the Yardbird. Yes. I'll take them. <laughs> yes. But Julian, thank you for joining us today. It's been so much fun. Of course. Thanks so much for having me all year round. It was uh, a lot of fun. And uh, especially doing this with uh, in a New York bedroom where I had to deal with all sorts of weird things this year in, in terms of various apartment sounds. So glad that today went okay. But uh, thanks for having me, as always. And thanks, Snackfight, for being a great editor and friend. Oh, happy new year, Lauren. You too. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter, just check the show notes. And the show is produced by the excellent Boone Ashworth, who's been our fantastic producer and colleague all year long. Thank you, Boone. We're sending alcohol your way. Get a haircut. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Happy New Year, everybody. Please stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next year. Wear a mask. Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take Podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life, or why China's targeting the US dollar, and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.